and he makes a stab at identification. And here it comes, Dave. <laughs> Carnotaurus ah! Sastre. <laughs> it's Tobias Funkesaurus! <laughs> it's amazing she's managed to get to the island having no idea that there are dinosaurs here. Yeah. Malcolm's basically done to Sarah what Levine did to Diego. But <laughs> no warning about what to expect at all. I mean, again, you would have thought Malcolm at some point would have been like, you know, I've uh, got some experience with dinosaurs and shit. Oh, yeah? Really? Yeah, no, I, yeah, I've, um, I was eaten by one, as it happens. <laughs> Hello, welcome to the third part of Shark Liver Royal's coverage of Jurassic Park The Lost World. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. Hello. Third one, Dave. Third it's time one. to get into the chapter called The Red Queen. Excellent. And, and read as far as a chapter called Trailer. Quite a few chapters called Trailer, if we're going to be honest. So, <laughs> Russell, Russell, Russell. Just as a recap, as where you all, if you've done your homework, should have read to. It's uh, around about page 250-ish. Kelly Curtis listened to the sound of the shower. There you go. Um, and obviously, if you want to get your feedback into us, sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at sharkliveroil. Got a little bit that we'll get through at the end. But um, without further ado, let's get into the next chapter. It's called The Red Queen. And uh, the, we're sort of up in the high hide with the, uh, with the team. And they're watching uh, Levine setting up his little cameras uh, on the high hide. And they've sort of set the cage up at the bottom as well. There's a little cage at the bottom of the high hide. Sort of, you go in there, if you're stuck down there and some dinosaurs show up. That is Chekhov's cage, isn't it? That really is. I love uh, the, the sort of nakedness of the plot construction of this novel at this point is so wonderful. Literally any time a physical object is designed, you're like, they'll hide from dinosaurs in that, or they will definitely do something to a dinosaur with that, or dinosaurs will c- occur around that for definite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They've also, um, the covering... The, the high hide in sort of toxic ferns as well um, just to sort of just to, just to hide it I mean this high hide thing this big piece of scaffolding is this sort of something that happens a lot when people are doing you know like well watching animals I mean as you know I, I have world leading expertise as a field biologist so I can actually tell you for real that I don't by the way that is complete bollocks I've no idea um <laughs> it would make sense, but it is described in quite a, in kind of the same, oh, look at this wonderful technology sort of a way that the satellite phone was, you know. So yeah. I don't know if that means that, like, the satellite phone has now become quite a, you know, a sort of more accessible piece of technology, or if this is hmm. still kind of beyond the dreams of all but the most, most wealthy kind of field biologist. Because I love what it enables them to do, but I also wonder like how kind of practical it is to basically have a, like an Ikea flat pack piece of furniture that allows you to observe animals in whatever way you please um, mm. kind of wherever you are in the world because uh, they put it up quite easily but I do imagine this in the real world being a little bit sort of kind of you know your, your, your auntie's kind of garden gazebo type situation where you go you know go around there for sunday dinner and somebody's you know your uncle's out on the on the lawn holding 
eight different lengths of pole looking frazzled. <laughs> she told me to put this up at nine o'clock in the morning. It's midday. I haven't got a clue. You've got to help me. It says slot A into tab B, and I don't know what's going on. And, you know, when all that's at stake there is a barbecue, you know, that's fine. But if you're going to get eaten <clears> by a tyrannosaur, maybe not so desirable. So, you know, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, well, they've got it up relatively quickly. Um, so they climb up there, settle in to start watching. The, they, to be honest, this is, these are some of the, my favourite bits of the book where they're just sitting up there watching dinosaurs just do what they do. Just talking um, about them. Yeah, I, I was going to yeah. ask you about that, actually, because I was noticing this more and more. Uh, in this section of the book, there's a lot of science talk, isn't there? There's a lot of, I don't know if mm. you'd even call it exposition, because they're not really describing what's going on in the plot. They're more sort of describing why Michael Crichton and his characters think the plot is interesting and worth engaging with. You know, there's all Mm. these sort of long discussions about extinction theory and, um, you know, kind of nuances in the theory of evolution and so on. Um, And, and, you know, he puts quite a lot of pages into them over this and you're just sort of supposed to go, Mm. I'm staying with this because at the end of it, a dinosaur is going to eat somebody's face. Um, (laughs) Are you on board for these? Like, as 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 a dinosaur fan, are you like, is this stuff interesting to you? Yeah, I think in many ways the second book is written more for people who like dinosaurs than the first one mm. because they, <clears throat> yeah, the first one is more like these monsters that happen to be dinosaurs are in pens and they get out. Mm. And this is more that these people are on the island to sort of learn more about dinosaurs. So a lot of the talk is sort of just observations and and um, coming up with theories. And actually some of the, some of the sort of like, not like cliffhangers, but like um, mysteries and, pl- and page-turning devices he uses mm. are mysteries about the dinosaurs. Like they, um, they're trying to find out, you know, why um, there aren't any baby or young dinosaurs on the island, mm. and you know, uh, what th- one of the things they keep tantalising us with throughout this part is they keep talking about Malcolm keeps saying, "Oh, I, I, now I understand why the dinosaurs became extinct." And then keeps getting distracted, just is about to tell you. <laughs> so that becomes something that you actually turn in the pages to find out. Yeah. Actually, that is a really good point. I hadn't... I don't know, because I just assume that when I'm into this, this is because I'm like an irretrievable nerd. And if anybody wants to chat on at me about science, I am on board. Um, but you're right. It really... I'm glad to hear it's driving the plot for, like, somebody somebody as well as me you know what i mean i think we're i think we're experiencing this in the same in the same way which is weird to me i'm used to being the only nerd discussing the piece of the piece of content at hand so it's you know we're in the same place matt we're in the same place so some of the mysteries they're working out while they're sitting up there now um they're saying the apatosauruses the big ones with the big long necks there's um all the trees at the top, the very treetops aren't bare. It doesn't look like they've been eating them up there. So if the necks long to access the leaves, what's going on? And they say the necks are long to balance the big tails that they use for defence mm. rather than to reach any leaves. Which is quite interesting, like revision isn't it it is yeah 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 it was good and um and i like the explanation about long necks being really difficult to do like biologically you gotta have you know big long pressure cuff and massive heart and there's no point Mm. really unless you need it to do something useful um i did i did think that they also use this as a really good a really good way of trolling levine where like he's he just keeps saying keep looking it's really quite obvious and then um and then a little bit about these about these uh, necks and uh, and then later on there's another bit 
bit where he can't work something else and, and Thorne's like, just keep looking, Richard. It's really quite obvious. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anybody wants to troll with him. him yeah. It is. It's great, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, a couple of other things. So the, the Red Queen, the name of the chapter, this is the phenomenon where um, in Alice in Wonderland, she has to run as fast as she can to stay still because mm. she's on sort of a moving platform mm. um, or conveyor belt. And uh, that's the sort of the idea with evolution. Mm. Plants and animals have to keep evolving quickly mm. or, you know, in a geological scale quickly <laughs> um, in order to just, just to survive. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And that does bring the drama back a little bit to what we're what we're seeing here in terms of you know their whole thing being here to kind of study extinction even even though as we mentioned last time and as i will try to refrain from mentioning too many times this time as well that is complete bollocks <laughs> the very idea that this is like somehow magically a sort of a, a lost world um is is just completely unsupportable but but it's fine yeah. it's fine it's fine it's fine it's going to be fine Matt. it's going to be fine <laughs> Um, I was wrong, actually. It's not that there are no child or baby dinosaurs. It's that there are no fully formed adult ones. Mm. Not, none have reached full maturity yet. Why? And Levine says it's probably just because they've not had enough time to develop. And Malcolm's sort of like, yeah, maybe. But he's got another idea, <laughs> which he, he doesn't get around no, to say. Which, which, as so many times in this section, he does not get to enunciate. <laughs> yeah. So we move on to Puerto Cortes, and uh, Sarah Harding's stuck. She's got as far as Costa Rica National Airport. Uh, there's no helicopter uh, to get her to the island, so she's a bit stuck. She's done well to get here, as you said. This is a little implausible that she's got this far around the world so quickly. Yeah. But um, but now she's run into a problem. Yeah. By the way, sorry, sorry, Matt. Which which national airport is it? It says CR Airport. So so. Where? What? Did, how did you say it? I, I do believe I said Costa Rica National yes. Airport. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I, an <laughs> I extra I just, roll of the R there to throw it in. Love it, Matt. Love it. <laughs> I thought I just placed um, Puerto Cortes in the wrong country then. And you just <laughs> <laughs> fucking hell! I love that. That's very on brand for me, isn't it? I think you'll find actually the largest major port close to the five deaths. It's not thought, Puerto Cortes at all. I thought you were Levine in me. Um, would you just repeat oh God. that again? I'm, I'm either Levine of this relationship. I don't want a piece of that. That's terrible. It, in point of fact, Matthew, I was. Fuck it. I'm embracing it. In point of fact, <laughs> actually. <laughs> yeah. So she can't get on the helicopter, but she can go down to the dock and ask around to see if anyone's sailing over to um, the inhospitable island today. And uh, turns out, guess what? Someone is. Yeah. Um, she goes down and she, she sees the Dodgson, the, the Biosyn lot, sees that exhibition ex- expedition getting ready to go. Um, there's a nice ad, I assume, <laughs> there's a nice advert for Jeep Wrangler here, where she walks down. <laughs> that is not fantastic. <laughs> yeah, she walks down, she looks up, she sees this Jeep, and she's like, and there was the Jeep Wrangler. The most desirable of all field vehicles. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> love, absolutely love that. Brilliant. Also, just, as I just I, heard the cash register ching. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I drink Snapple. It's delicious. Um, I'd, I'd like to say, I'd like to point out. I'd just like to, to give a give a shout out here because I am an Englishman from the West Midlands, which means I have two quite compelling reasons to say Jeep Wranglers suck. Buy Land Rovers. Hmm? <laughs> hmm? 
Um, I'm afraid they're the most desirable of all <laughs> field vehicles. And he does, he does, um, <laughs> he does write Jeep Wrangler a few more times in the book as well. Whenever this car turns, whenever up, this car it's always appears, the Jeep Wrangler. <laughs> Dearing me. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I don't know. Is it product placement? Is it world building? Is it both? I don't know. Anyway. Well, and of course, that's that's the genius of late twentieth century American popular culture is that it was literally both. Something's mm. more real if you brand it, Matt. That's the rule. Yeah. So she meets Dodgson, and obviously he has absolutely no time for her until he hears that she's a friend of Malcolm's, and then suddenly is all sort of sweetness and light and friendly. He's like, he says, hey, I'm Lou from Biosyn. <laughs> I'm Lou from Lovely Corp. Uh, I'm Lou from Nothing to See Here, Inc. Um, I, I, why, why does he do this, do you think? Especially, I mean, in the light of what he does later in this section as well, I have questions, but um, why, is he, why is he suddenly like, oh, good, Somebody who knows these guys who are on this island at the same time as us. Um, that is a plus for our exhibition. Like, yeah, I don't. I, I was going to ask the same thing. I don't understand. Other than it's the only way to get her to the island from Michael Crichton's point of view. I don't really see the motivation for Dawson to take her on the boat. Yeah, like, yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't understand at all. I, I'm, I'm completely kind of mystified. Um, and I think he's kind of... I don't think there is a reason. And I think he's skating past it by just being like, who can say what the clear antagonist of this novel is thinking deep in his evil brain? Ugh, but it must be a good reason. Anyway, it's plausible. Nothing to see here. Geothermal energy. Geothermal energy. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> you know, um, it is very much don't look behind the curtain on this, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I assumed that he's, he's getting her on because he wants to sort of get more information about what they're all up to on the island. Mm. Um, but his sort of his line of questioning once they're on the boat doesn't really go deeply into that. No, um, well, but and, he, 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 and more what? than sorry, yeah, just more than that. He, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know if this happens in this chapter or if it's in the next chapter that it happens, but it's in this section, isn't it? So I can talk about it. The the fact that um, he basically throws her off the boat. Yeah. And, like, if you're going to put all this effort into getting her on board the boat, why would you... Why, why would... Why? 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 Why mm. wouldn't you just be like, no, never heard of him. Fuck, we're going somewhere else. Fuck off. Like, what's <laughs> yeah, why what's the upside the to yeah. leaving her stranded in Puerto Cortez with a corona feeling a little bit miffed that she's travelled all this way rather than murdering her? Like, fuck is yeah. that? Yeah, I get. I do get the feeling that there's a sort of a there's an element of Littlefinger about Dodgson, where he just sort of he'll just set things in motion just to see where they go, um, and see if he can get a bit of advantage out of them. Chaos is a ladder, Sarah. That's what he says. I, Chaos I, is a ladder. I do. Yeah, I do think he would. Uh, he would very much nod along with uh, when Littlefinger's saying that. It's like, yeah, yes, it is. And I'm going to climb it. Um, <laughs> I'm going to so climb said, it right the way to dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah, so he lies and says, oh, yeah, we're friends of Levine. Like, come on, <laughs> who's friends of Levine? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that. If she, if she knows Richard Levine in the slightest, she'd be like, are you? How'd you manage that then? <laughs> yeah, and he pretty much press gangs her into joining them, gets her on the boat, on they go. Um, then we move on to a chapter called King. This is, uh, as we said last week, Dodgson's assistant. 
Um, he's not. He's not quite the meathead that we uh, that we assume. No, no. Um, he's a scientist of ten years' experience with Dogson. Um, he's a, so. So the reason he en- ended up falling in with Dodgson was he, he had these two projects that failed, including one about the horny toad. Horny toad let him down. <sighs> horny gutted. <laughs> horny and just toad as just did not have his eyes on the prize. Yeah, just Kept as everyone's shunning him. Sorry. As everyone's shunning him, he goes for lunch with Dodgson yeah. and says, "He says Dodgson um, had a nickname. The nickname is the Undertaker." <laughs> <laughs> so, sorry, go on. You you do the joke. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> I don't know if there's anything else to say. Well, no, all Bong. I. <laughs> <laughs> All I'm imagining now is Dodgson walking around in a really wide-brimmed hat, long, straggly hair, purple shorts, entering the ring to the strains of Metallica. Like, that's my... That's <laughs> Dodgson is suddenly... He's got to be this quite weaselly individual, as I imagine him based on Jurassic Park 1, to being, like, the world's most laughable yet uh, persistent wrestling star. Um... <laughs> Entering the ring in the middle of a forty-man battle royale just to fuck it up. Yeah, I mean, it's it's called the Undertaker because of the way that he takes over the work of others and makes it look better as his own. And I just I don't even get the analogy there. I don't. No. I mean, <laughs> what does so, that mean, the Undertaker? Because it's somehow sinister, and you know, looking after the dead is also somehow. I don't know. Yeah, there's got to be something better. They call him the Jackal. Hmm? Or except we, we know we know <laughs> he he does a little dance, Matt. Lips <laughs> lip syncs to the thing. Um, <laughs> um, or well, we, and also we know that Michael Crichton loves a jackal, so maybe not that. You know, you know mm. the 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 rat, the the just the scavenger. You know, the vulture, something like that. You know, not mm. not the Undertaker. Because the Undertaker takes yeah. things that are dead and makes sure nobody ever sees them again. Maybe, maybe mm. that's it. Because actually, he's in trouble with his boss, isn't he, for actually not succeeding at this shit? So maybe people mm. call him the Undertaker, and he sort of likes it because it sounds vaguely badass without even really thinking about what they mean by it. Which is to say, everything he touches is already lifeless and has no prospect of returning from the dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He sort of moves into action once careers have died. Yeah. That's it, um, isn't it? That's what he says King. about yeah. exactly. That's what he says about King too. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he, he sits down with King and he gives him his big cell and basically says, "Original research is risky, so join me and nick other people's." <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> <laughs> join me and we we can rule medical science insofar as it applies to consumer biologicals as father and not father and son. It's a bit too close. Um, as flunky and genius hero. Scientist Undertaker, join us. It's not weird. It's not. It's not weird. It's not weird. It's not in a gay way. So, um, so King does this deal with the devil. Um, he said, uh, See, he, "That'd he be says, a better nickname as well, Matt, rather than you'd call him the Devil." Great. The Devil. Sorry. Um, yeah, and he's got it all. Ten years later, he's got it all: a Porsche, a mortgage, a divorce, and a kid he sees at weekends. <laughs> The American dream. He's living the dream, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, yeah. So, um, but now, on the boat, with this, um, with Harding, 
is beginning to worry because Dodgson's taking risks again and cutting corners. I mean, I'm not sure what corner he's cutting. He's just, just taking a needless gamble for some unforeseen, unforeseen benefit at the moment. But this is making King uneasy. I mean, I, and, and the rest of us too, I think. Like, I, th- I think we all have borne witness to what bad stuff happens when, uh, when he gets to do his thing. Sorry, that is... <laughs> It making your daughter uneasy as well. <laughs> I'm beginning to see where I've learned my flawless raptor impression from. <laughs> so carry on. So, uh, the next chapter is called Harding. Um, so she is on the boat. She's got some misgivings about what's going on, obviously. Um, and so she she sort of she she has a further conversation with Dodgson. And um, asking him about, you know, how how do you know the group? And he says, oh, you know, we're all we're all friends. He says he's friends with Malcolm actually, and that they go way back. And she's like, how far back? Is it all to the island? Ooh. And it, it's quite clear from this that um, he's never told her anything at all about what happened on the island. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and and um, and I mean that seems very consistent with how Malcolm has spoken about his spoken about what you know what's happened in the past in order to maintain the mystery um Hmm. in all circumstances except when he's on an island in which case he just lets it all spill out but Hmm. i love the idea of dodgson like being like oh yeah we've known each other since the island with a sort of nefarious idea of saying no no we went to to (laughs) we went to magaluf together when we were teenagers that's Just what? The I mean, I, we saw. I was going to say you should see what that man could do with a Jaeger bomb. Honestly, <laughs> yeah. Well, he asks these. Um, he starts asking these pointed questions about her, about her. You know, fellow researchers doesn't have any. Her husband doesn't have one. Anyone else who might know where she is? No, don't know. And she also says, "Oh yeah, they're not expecting me. I'm just showing up." Um, Sarah, and Sarah, 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 Sarah. I mean, you're very good. Stranger at, danger, Sarah. I was gonna say that specifically. You are very good with you know literal predators in the flipping jungle, but you can't notice one when it's smiling at you with a suspiciously toothy grin on board a boat. Mm, bad days, bad days. Obviously, yeah. and I want to be clear about this. Fuck Dodgson in this situation. I don't think it's her fault. But bloody hell. <laughs> Yeah, so the ship lists um, quite heavily because the sea is quite rough mm. and she nearly loses her footing and Dodgson basically chucks her overboard. <laughs> and from from being sort of some like industrial espionage specialist who cuts corners, he suddenly jumps to just murder. casual murder. <laughs> <laughs> I just... And, and again, I am bemused as to what the upside is. Like... And particularly because he says in a little bit, when they actually get to the island, he's like, oh, yeah, we we probably won't run into them. We probably won't see these other guys who are there. So why why did it matter that you had with you somebody that was looking to link up with their group? And why, even if you did, (laughs) why kill her? In fact, (laughs) why go to the island at the same time at all? (laughs) <laughs> Did he get a, get a sort of email auto notification off his calendar going, ah, it's time to be the antagonist. Quickly, we must hustle. <laughs> Howard, bring me my Undertaker pants. 
What? Why? Why? I think. I think. They're racing, aren't they? They're trying to get there first because they think it's going to get destroyed anytime soon. Well, yeah, but like, okay, actually, no, that's true. You know, solid, solid, fair enough. I was thinking, I was forgetting that the, the Costa Rican government has a really damaging approach to potentially like priceless biological preserves that it could leverage for for um, for tourism forever, and instead has decided to firebomb the place. I was forgetting that. I was thinking, why do you even need to be there at the same time? Although it doesn't seem like a very Dodgson thing to do, does it? If his thing is getting there... Like, if his thing is exploiting people and things in the natural world, I'm not sure that his natural response to going... To, like, having the opportunity to go to an island that is about to be firebombed would be to go himself, rather than saying, Mm. Howard, great news, you worked really hard, time for a promotion... (laughs) Opportunity of a lifetime. Exactly. You tell you, I no, no, I won't hear of it, mate. You go. I'll stay here because it's time for you to get your time in the sun. Mm. Well, the thing is, he's tried that before a couple. Of t- he's tried with Nedry and someone else, like to get some other uh, numbskull to do it, and he's, he's like, oh. and this is his last last shot at it, isn't oh, it? Oh, well, that is I've absolutely right. Yeah. No, you are yeah. right. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. So he's doing that. Yeah. But yeah, the, the 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 sort of casual murder does seem even for him. A bit much. I mean, it does yeah. suggest that he's he's bored a lot. Well, he's he's a bit crazy. Yeah, he's um, yeah, a bit, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And um, um, and he sort of yeah, he tells this lie to get her on board, and then once she's on board, thinks ah, actually, what am I going to say to her once we get to the island? And he thinks ah, problem solved. <laughs> Just chuck her overboard. Yep. <laughs> Like, there is a logic there. It's a strange like, one. It's, it's a strange logic, which doesn't seem to involve this person, who, we, you know, we are reminded is a sort of actual research biologist with all sorts of high-level diplomas and PhDs and shit from places. And still, his idea of thinking ahead is going, I think we'll take you on the boat, and then getting ten minutes out to sea and going, how can I plot to throw you off the boat? <laughs> it's Joe yeah. Bluth-level plan-making, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So we, uh, we move on to the valley. Uh, Malcolm and Levine are excited about something. Um, the dinosaurs are drinking again to stay cool. And it turns out the thing they're excited about is um, uh, symbiosis. So there are two I mean, species. Of- who, who isn't excited about symbiosis? <laughs> <laughs> who amongst us can say? <laughs> so there are two species of dinosaur down by the by the lake, the apatosaurs and the parasaurs. So the apatosaurs are you onto your big necks and your parasaurs are, you know, Elvis, the pompadour. <laughs> and um <laughs> Every time you say that I'm really happy about it, but I'm also I'm like I just want to pawn out for Pete Postlethwaite because <laughs> oh, oh what a legend. Anyway. Sorry, yeah. sorry, carry on. Yeah, these two species are sort of standing around together. Uh, because the apatosaurs have bad sight, um, but they're massive with these big tails, which are obviously good for defense and the parasols are a lot smaller comparatively but they've got better sight so they're sort of looking after each other as the raptors are hunting around them yeah interesting yeah absolutely yeah um levine is <laughs> levine's littering i mean for a guy who's supposed to be like a, a, a scientist and you know we leave we 
what was it? We leave only footprints and take only Photos. pictures or yeah. memory. Of, yeah, he he's he's just like every so often he he just lets a, a candy bar a wrapper just flutter away in the wind. <laughs> oh, he actually does it later on just to test the which way the wind. Yeah, blowing, which way rather the than hold his finger going. up. He just like, like <laughs> are you? Because the thing is, some of these dinosaurs obviously wouldn't even notice if that made its way into their food. But some of these dinosaurs definitely would if they accidentally ate a piece of foil. They would yeah. die, right? These things litter kills animals. <laughs> He's been remarkably kind of uh, cavalier about this possibility of destroying these dinosaurs. And also, like, surely the whole logic of this trip is we must see their ecosystem. You know, even, you know, take into account the fact that it's bollocks and that they're manufactured, you know, things anyway and you can't really... Even so, you'd think you would minimise your own direct influence on the well-being <laughs> of these fucking animals. But no, no, apparently yeah. not. No chance. No, doesn't care. So... <laughs> So he's littering. Um, they discuss this idea about animals changing behaviour more quickly than um, people normally think. So this idea that there's a big change in the world and that kills off, that causes extinctions, yeah. kills off a lot of animals. Yeah. And this, and apparently the science shows that that doesn't really happen. There's a big change, like an ice age, and species survive and adapt. But then when it changes again, it <clears throat> finishes them off. So hang on. <clears throat> It made you quite emotional. <laughs> nearly finished me. <laughs> nearly finished my voice off. Yeah, it finishes them off. So um, it's called softening up the beachhead, basically. Uh, I, I'm, I, lo- I really, th- I think this is really fascinating. Although I think this is like really snappy one-liner shorthands that all these scientists know about for these things. I, <laughs> I'm skeptical about. Um, <laughs> I feel like I feel like naming things snappily outside of NASA is not something I'm used to used to scientists <laughs> doing with a great deal of flair. Um, <laughs> but um, but I, yeah, I don't know. I, I but it was a really interesting theory, eh? Like you could you can well like this whole idea that what looks normal to us, what is normal to to us or to any any um, any organism, is quite a fragile thing. And it's change, it's unmanaged, poorly managed change that's the problem. Um, and I obviously have learned a lot more about climate change since I first read this book when I was a teenager. And um, uh, that I found that quite sobering, actually, because there's this kind of, like, there is this massive change that's going on in our environment, which is entirely driven mm. by humanity, is it would seem almost uncontrollable and almost past the point of no return now. And even if we do some, even if, you know, even whenever the climate writes itself, that will be another major stress for our species. Um, Mm. And so, yeah, I I found that quite, I find that quite sobering really to think about. Yeah. Um, While they're having this sort of pretty heavy discussion, the velociraptors, step out into the clearing and the apatosaurs turn their backs to show their tails it's basically like you know taking the safety off or unsheathing the sword or, you know, it's like <laughs> let's play that's exactly it isn't it that's amazing I, and I, I love that so much that like turning your back and shrugging your shoulders is what counts as like a seriously badass move if you're an apatosaur yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, what it, that's what it is man that's no messing absolutely no yeah. messing here I suppose turning your back isn't if you're that if if you're an animal like that isn't the sort of 
isn't doesn't make you as vulnerable as almost any other because you've got that really long neck your vision is still just absolutely as fine do you know because what the problem with turning your back if you're human is yeah. your head's facing the wrong way yeah. not a problem if you're if you're sort of got that long neck yeah so, yeah, yeah no absolutely um uh i think that's quite interesting as well I, I hadn't thought about the vision thing i was just thinking if the tail's a weapon turning you back for them is like putting your fists up um, oh yeah, yeah. You know, a very, very, very sort of aggressive posture, um, which, which, as you say, it is not for humans. Humans <laughs> not at their best in a fight if facing away from their attacker. <laughs> <laughs> the um, the velociraptors take one look at this and they're just like, "Ah, oh, fuck this, no," <laughs> and they just leave. <laughs> I just wonder how many times they've done that. The velociraptors stepped out. Right, right, we're gonna go. The aftersauce. T- oh, they've turned their backs again. Come on, we're <laughs> off. <laughs> oh shit! That's the that's the kind of the equivalent of somebody spoiling for a fight, and then the guy that they're trying to start a fight with gets up from the table and turns out to be like seven five, and then, then at that moment you're like, oh, oh, sorry, no, I meant to pick a fight with the other guy. My bad. See you later. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they leave, and Malcolm is sort of a bit preoccupied now. And he says, oh, you know what? I'm going to go back to the trailer. Anyone want to go back to the trailer? I'm heading back to the trailer. And the Veen's like, what are you talking about? This is this is what we've come for. And Malcolm is thinking, Sarah's got... He, for some reason, he's thinking Sarah's going to show up right about now. He's got like a ex-boyfriend sixth sense. And, um, and he's saying, I'm going to go back to the trailer. <laughs> that's, that's, I totally hadn't thought of it like that. But it is, it's... Um, uh, have you seen um, Parks and Recreation? Yeah. Yeah, so it's Ron Swanson sensing one of his ex-wives near. Just looks <laughs> looks at the air and sniffs a little bit and goes, "She's here." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he heads off, uh, heads back. I think everyone goes back apart from uh, apart from the Veen, who, to be fair to him, is actually you know doing more than a couple of hours work after making all this effort to get here. You may as well actually watch the dinosaurs for yeah. a bit, rather than go back to the fucking trailer yeah, have some, say, like, sandwiches. Yeah, yeah, sure. go, go back and have a sandwich, anybody? Hot ding-dong? Anybody? <laughs> yeah. This is the one time I'm entirely with Levine. I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. Just stay there. Watch the dinosaurs. <laughs> this is what you came for, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's like people who like go to the football and like ten minutes in, like, oh, I'm gonna go get a hot dog or a drink. You're like, why? <laughs> Wait till half time. That's what it's for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you, you did come to the football, right? Not to the, you know, the overpriced hot dogs in the surprisingly poorly insulated building. No. <laughs> yeah, and that also kind of. I, I should have really said a pie. But that shows where I watch my football, I suppose. I was going to say <laughs> anyway. that. No, there's no, no shame, Matt. It's all right. You could have said prawn sandwich. Could be worse. Uh, on to Cave. This is a great... I, I really like this chapter just, just for a simple description of an action scene where um, Sarah's kicking around in the sea trying to not drown uh, or get crushed against the, the cliffs. And um, I just thought it was really well described as she's... You know, desperately gets her boots off so she doesn't get dragged down, and then this desperate sort of swim to the cave, which she just manages. Um, what did you make of this? Um, I mean, it's super dramatic and like really cool, and I think it serves as a pretty straightforward, like 
heroic introduction for a character. I know that in Michael Crichton's terms, the heroic introduction to the character was finding her in the middle of the African savanna by herself, observing animals, pushing back the the, the frontiers of science, and listening to her in a monologue think about how everybody else in science is wrong. That's the Michael Crichton heroic introduction. But to me, the heroic introduction is being screwed by the, uh, the antagonist and then surviving. Like, that's it's, <laughs> it's fantastic. Really, really cool stuff. Really dramatic and great. Hmm. So she just about, yeah, she just about makes it. She, um, she sort of, she swims, as, she kicks her little legs as hard as she can, and uh, she's swept up into the cave and then up onto the sort of into the river and uh she sort of swims to the to the bank exhausted sees the boat in the distance docked up and then um this big dinosaur stomps towards her and she just passes out she's like oh i'm out (laughs) (laughs) well she doesn't see that it's a dinosaur though does she like i think she's like there was something does she see that it's a dinosaur? Because uh, well, something like, big and scaly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Fair enough. So dinosaur. But um. <laughs> but her response in the next one is like, bloody hell, it's a dinosaur. So I assumed that in this one she <laughs> yeah. was thinking that's a funny elephant. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> Wonder what that's doing here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, move on to Dodgson. Uh, King is sitting in the car, like going, "How could you, Lou?" <laughs> You killed her, <laughs> you bastard! And and Bas- Basilton, the other guy, is quite like he just keeps going. Well, I didn't see anything. Yeah, that's I was right. <laughs> it's like as, as if there's a cockpit voice recorder going on. As all the microphones <laughs> around here for my lawyers will confirm, I didn't see anything. <laughs> Yeah, what a dick. I know, (laughs) honestly, what a tool. And of course, this is setting up what's going to happen to him later because I have a strange suspicion, Matt, that these these guys, these secondary antagonists with their selfishness and short-sightedness might not be long for this world. I'm just going to put it out there. Risky bet, I know, but I reckon we might see a certain amount of Basilton chewing going on before the end of this section. (laughs) Uh, Dodgson's like, calm down. It's not as bad, you know. She, yeah, she, she just, she just slipped. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's and doesn't bother to give an account of of why he thought this was a good idea. He's just like, yeah, horrible accident. Don't worry about it anyway. <laughs> and the guy that's worked closest with him for the longest time is going, "You fucking murdered her! You murdered her!" <laughs> he outlines his plan now. Um, I like how these two guys have got as far as getting onto the island before asking him what the plan is. But um, his plan is yeah. four hours on the island. We're going to drive to all the nests, which they've they've located by using heat sensors, <clears throat> and steal the eggs. What a plan. What could possibly go wrong? This is... Bloody hell, I've only just realised this. You know, we were talking uh, last time about the the fact that this whole setup, you know, Jurassic Park basically requires them to wait until they've got a viable egg and then flying it by helicopter through windstorms from one island to another. <laughs> That's basically, yeah. Dodgson's plan is that, but with a boat instead, with like a six-hour <laughs> journey by sea rather than a 20-minute flight. And I think it is no more plausible this week than it was last week. <laughs> They're all going to get smashed. You're going to end up with Tyrannosaurus omelettes, and that's all you're going to have for all the money you've invested <laughs> in being here. I don't know. If you've got enough bubble wrap, she'll be fine. So. 
<laughs> Wrap them up in duct tape. Duct tape can do everything. <laughs> uh, next chapter, mating calls. Levine is on his own in the high hide. That's just exactly how he likes it. He's, uh, <laughs> he's having a whale of a time now. I'm amazed he even tried to get anyone to stay. This is, he much prefers this. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a little bit of memories, memories of uh, him and Malcolm back in the good old days when they were both sort of working on research. And, you know, Levine says, God is in the details. That's his yeah. motto. Yeah. And, like, uh, I think Malcolm's is God is in the process, oh. which shows the difference in a scientific approach. Yeah. Mm. And, and, like, I have to say, I really loved this little exchange. And, and I do, and they were actually quite formative in me when I was young, these kind of talks about science and, and what constitutes, like, how what you care about and why you care about it is really, really fascinating. But reading this again this time, I was a bit frustrated that neither of them thought, do you think we might have something to learn from one another? Um, you know, I mean, perhaps they do because they work together, but it, all it describes is you know, like a fundamental mismatch of worldviews and understanding of how you make knowledge and why knowledge is desirable and how you go about getting it. Um, to the point of having stand-up rows in restaurants. And they seem not really ever to have sort of resolved that and yet seem to have decided that each other is the person they really want to work with getting to the other side of the world and ending up on a tropical island. Like, uh, all right, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, somehow it's come to pass. Um, but, he, Dave, here comes the big, here comes the big reveal in this chapter, probably in the whole book. So he's thinking back to the animal that attacked Diego by the uh, by the stream, <laughs> and he's thinking, "What kind? I'm sure, even in my like terror, running away, I'm sure I could kind of identify it." And he makes a stab at identification, and here it comes, Dave, <laughs> Carnotaurus <laughs> sastre. <laughs> it's Tobias Funkasaurus. <laughs> <laughs> he has been in it we just didn't realize <laughs> well i question this though i realize that i'm the guy in the edit who's saying who's that guy in the back with the blue paint on his face get rid of him he's useless <laughs> but he does say like it is put in the i will concede that the name carnotaurus was used and i read this book so many times and i never noticed it but that is because it's in the middle of a passage where levine is going it was maybe it was carnotaurus but there was just something wrong about it. Just something strange that I can't quite put my finger on. And to me, I have literally every single time I've read that, I've gone, oh, that's him talking about Velociraptors again. It was definitely Velociraptors. <laughs> I will concede that that almost certainly is not the case. And that this is one of the few occasions on which Michael Crichton is being oblique about what dinosaur he's describing without him secretly going, it's a raptor, it's a raptor, it's a raptor. <laughs> and for that, you know, rarity value, it's it's uh, it's interesting. But I still, I'm not convinced that this is a confirmed sighting of a Carnotaurus. <laughs> it's backed up a little bit by also says it had something. There was something unusual about its skin. And um, if you remember when uh, Malcolm had that little chunk of Carnotaurus, I, what we thought was Carnotaurus, a, a, apparent it had the Carnotaurus, weird skin. alleged, <laughs> <laughs> another alleged Carnotaurus. Yeah. So we're getting closer. To, to having its star in the book it'll be interesting to see if it makes an appearance later on it will 
It <laughs> Can you guarantee it? Can you guarantee? I can, yeah, it definitely does. Oh, excellent. Anyway. Excellent. All right, I'm keen. Let's <laughs> do it. More to come. <laughs> um, Levine conducts a little experiment, not content with sort of polluting the dinosaur's environment. He now tries to interact with the parasaurs. He, he does he does a grant in um in Jurassic Park the film he sort of does a a fake dinosaur call and um, <laughs> and there are consequences this time it, rather than it being just like a really nice Steven Spielberg family friendly the string swell moment something else yeah. occurs yeah they all call back to him and then form up in a line and start walking towards the high height <laughs> it's like oh shit. <laughs> Brilliant, brilliant. Um, uh, I, I, and I like his his immediate theory for this. Oh, this isn't until the next chapter, is it? Uh, no, no. I think it's I think it's coming. Okay, the next right. chapter is problems of evolution. Um, I mean, the, the, you know, you could give me a lot of money before you would find <laughs> for, for for anybody to find a uh, a chapter in a thriller called Problems of Evolution that's really going for drama. But it doesn't feel out of place here, does it? No, no. Um, so, yeah, basically, they've got the freeze-dried meals out at the trailer and school's in session as uh, Malcolm begins to sort of continue to... Well, he continues to uh, to educate us all. Um, history, of, history of extinction theory. 1800s, everyone thought it was impossible because God wouldn't let it happen. Then they thought, actually, it's possible. Then they moved on to evolution. Uh, yeah. There you go. Potted history there. That was um, brilliant. That was outstanding, Matt. There was a lot of a lot of stuff to skip past there, and I'm genuinely impressed. Um, um, well, I've not got into the, the. You would do a bit of a dive into the detail of it then, where he's talking about, you know, the problem is the, the idea. No one really understands how evolution works, and sort of a lot of the theory is, you know, genes naturally mutate and the ones that mutate correctly survive yeah but the problem is things are all you know the chances of everything mutating the right way at the same time is just so tiny like it's like the idea of i think he says bats they have like they can't see but they've got perfect hearing and they've got all these different things that are working in tandem to make them work properly yeah but it's hard to imagine it coming about by chance he he says it's like a tornado hitting a junkyard and assembling a working 747 yeah it's yeah. just so unlikely yeah and and i thought that was interesting um insofar as um well actually two interesting bits about this one is that that whole idea of things evolving themselves like with with complementary things for me that's always been about the structure of the human eye or the eye anywhere like you need a lens and you need a brain that can process it and all of this stuff um Mm. uh but i read something in national geographic which is really interesting which was basically that somebody ran a simulation of like a load of cells sitting under light many many millions of times and simulating the development of um of like light receptors there basically Mm. um and uh, it was quite interesting apparently in in response to something as intense as light or an intense stimulus that actually happened spontaneously like fairly predictably um so Mm. i thought that was quite interesting as a little kind of pushback on this but why what i really loved about this was i kind of love that he's put this in the book despite making a load of characters who really don't act as though this is the case. But this is the fundamental um, humility of science. 
which is why which is why I think science is a really really powerful way of approaching the world is to say this is weird and we don't know why and the fact that it's weird and the fact that we don't know why is what drives us forward in our investigations and finding stuff out and you know our questioning our models and so on and I think that's fantastic and I note with interest that a far like so I mean when talking about kind of you know the sort of social implications of evolution one has to talk about Richard Dawkins and he's very forthright about what he thinks it does and does not mean but actually there's a far larger number of scientists whose whole kind of engagement with science is yeah but we don't know that like the whole point of science is the testing and the asking the questions and the gaps and the not knowing and the leaning into them and the finding stuff out it's not over extrapolating from what we do and don't have now to particular conclusions and um i just flipping loved this like for that alone uh, i'm not really sure why his characters don't do slightly more hey we don't know maybe humility is an appropriate response um but but i did i do i did and do really love this whole thread that runs through the jurassic park franchise of going yeah but you don't know what's going to happen um and the people who regularly come a cropper are the people who reckon that they do and the people who regularly survive are the ones who go you know this is why malcolm (laughs) is still with us you know yeah yeah um so yeah they have this discussion um it goes into a bit more detail i think that's as much as we need to to go into it one thing i thought was quite interesting is that sort of babies have like big eyes and look cute and that sort of instinctively makes people want to look after them yeah and it's in, it's strange that the same thing happens with other animals um sort of uh, for no apparent reason but it does so like you know, look, puppies look cute and stuff like that, and it, it instills the same reaction. Yeah, and it's just again a different species doing the same thing. It's sort of it's, if it's all random, why? Which is quite interesting. Yeah, although you know, although I note that that's not always the case. Like other vulnerable, actually, a lot of the action in this bit of the book is built around vulnerable members of one species being treated with absolutely no cuteness or care by you know adult members of other species so um yeah i'm not i'm not quite sure on that although it is true that there for humans there is a response to the you know the young of other species which is quite nurturing you know any species that you look at that you like you'll like the baby version of it more you know what i mean people like dogs love puppies like cats love kittens you know Mm. um and um that's quite that isn't kind of an interesting question but i'm not sure you can quite extrapolate that out across the entire animal kingdom for example mm. when i see a tiny cockroach i don't feel any less you know violent towards it than i do towards a big cockroach i want them both dead and i don't care <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah fair point <laughs> um <laughs> uh, so yeah so, so the theory doesn't work right across all different species but you know there's something in there maybe mm. um Malcolm moves on to his oh, and now we know why dinosaurs became extinct, and like oh why? And then Levi interu- Levine interrupts and says, <laughs> "Guys, the parasaurs are doing something um, interesting." <laughs> I'll, I don't want to go too far into it, but one of them's sort of humping the high hide, and um, it's, it's shaking a lot. Could you could, could you come down here, please? <laughs> yeah. So there you go. So <laughs> we move on to Parasaurus. 
Um, the parasaurs walk towards the high hide, then walk straight past it, luckily, into the jungle. And Naveen wonders, where the hell are they going? And he decides he's going to follow. And A, yeah, this is a bit daft and dangerous, but B, I'm really curious, so I'm kind of glad he's going. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I now have this as well, is that Levine's palpable lack of concern for his own physical well-being and absolute stupidity in chasing dinosaurs around the place on foot or bicycle still, like, is now becoming a major driver of the plot and because I want the plot to go forward, I kind of have to be, oh, good, this moron. Uh, <laughs> which maybe I shouldn't be, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, we move on to Heat. This is Sarah Harding. She's being licked by Stegosaurus. And she sort of wakes up and is like, oh, what the hell's that? It's a Stegosaurus. <laughs> and again, this is like, it's amazing she's managed to get to the island having no idea that there are dinosaurs here. Yeah. Malcolm's basically done to Sarah what Levine did to Diego, which is just <laughs> no warning about what to expect at all. Yeah, but also, like, Diego came, because he was closer by, he didn't have to find a military flight from Kenya to get to Central America to get there, but also for quite a lot of money. Whereas Sarah's thing is like, and, you know, maybe academic research grants have changed in their size since the late 90s. Um, but I'm, I'm not sure she would necessarily blow quite so huge a proportion of the money she's got to hand getting halfway across the world on a whim to see animals that she doesn't know about. You know, like, I'm a, I'm a you know, da- <laughs> damn it, Ian, I'm a doctor. I'm a, I'm a flipping... <laughs> I'm a specialist in these animals and you want me to come around the world not, you know, to see some animal you won't tell me about. Hmm. And, but, and yet yeah. here she is. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, so she's made it. She's getting licked by a stegosaurus. She, she gets up, scrambles away, heads inland. Um, then as, as she's on a sort of way, she's walking. I don't know how she thinks she's going to find them on this island, but she's sort of walking somewhere. And um, these green dinosaurs run past her, these little ones. And they're being chased by tiger dinosaurs. I think these are velociraptors, Dave. Um, she's looking, she sees, the, she sees the green dinosaurs running past her and thinks, hmm, probably best climb a tree just in case something's chasing them. And um, that was probably the best decision she's ever made. <laughs> you can imagine her just in another, in another book just being like, well, that seems to be over. That's I'll just stand by the path here. Oh, it's a raptor. Oh, end. <laughs> yeah. Um, she watches the, uh, the velociraptors chase down some prey. She has a look at the kill site, and it's fucking pandemonium. <laughs> <laughs> there is no uh, sort of structure whatsoever. It's a massive free-for-all. Yeah. Heavens to Murgatroyd, Matt. There's a cataclysmic situation developing down there. <laughs> Yeah, there's a bit where one of the dinosaurs like gets bitten and the like, the velociraptors and limps away and then snaps at a couple of the others and then gets eaten itself. It's like <laughs> how how are the how has this pack survived as long as it has? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And I I mean maybe the book is starting to come around to my point of view on this, which is like if velociraptors actually were like that, they would never have survived as apex predators. So hmm. I think something weird is going on here. I think, you know, this is what we think we're looking at a a real ecosystem but we might as well be looking at a sort of robot version of it you know what i mean yeah yeah it's a nice callback to what happened in um in the first book that isn't it because they were exactly the same the ones that were bred in the test tubes yeah 
Um, so we move on to noise. Um, again, we're back at uh, Malcolm's in the car now, is he? Oh no, is he? Oh yeah, because they're on the way to, to see Levine, aren't they? That's and right. uh, they're talking about how dinosaurs have been around for 150 million years, humans for 35,000. Again, mm-hmm. and it never gets old that. It's just crazy. Yeah, I mean, geological time frame. And, um, and again, I was thinking here about the um, climate change thing, where I was like... Mm. I mean, so there's a there's a very real possibility that sort of climate change is a you know is or causes or actually I mean it clearly is for many species not for us yet but is an extinction level event and um, and in I, it's really sobering to think were it to do for humanity even in the next fifty thousand years you know even if what what's gone on now changes the climate to the extent that most people can't survive or, or we become extinct um, hmm. like. That's nothing. Like, there'll be whatever happens after us on the planet. Nobody will notice that because, you know, you know, dinosaurs are around 150 million years and they're the thing we recognise. The, the thing about um, kind of an extinction-level event occurring is, you know, we, we wouldn't make a, a mark on the geological record and it makes you wonder how many other species, you know, potentially as big a deal as humans have been on the planet... Mm have arisen and disappeared in so small a time frame that if you look at rocks, you'd never know. You look at fossils, mm. you'd never know, you know. Um, mm. And I just, I mean, I, it, that is obviously sobering, quite bleak as a thought, but how many other techno-thrillers make your mind zoom out to that level of thing and start thinking about, you know, the the, the self-sufficient existence of your own species? Uh, it's just, mm. it's fascinating, that really is. Yeah, and we uh, we, we then have another bit of Malcolm saying and uh, so why did dinosaurs become extinct? Well I know and I'm going to tell you, hang on a minute, stop the car he's like oh come on Malcolm now you're just, now you're just playing for time you don't really know. But- <laughs> that's amazing, it's like I will tell you immediately after we stop because I need a wee, alright <laughs> yeah, he's like stop the car and they stop and he goes, oh, I could have sworn I heard an engine, I could imagine Thorne like yeah of course you could, what was that about dinosaurs again? Um, anyway, yeah, he thinks he could have had an engine because obviously they just got a bit, bit of a, bit, bit of a sort of a. He's just heard a bit of the jeep, the jeep wrangler, of course, out in the distance. <laughs> um, the jeep wrangler provided by jeep. <laughs> um, and then Arby radios in to say, "There's someone else on the island," and immediately thinking they found Dodgson. <laughs> <laughs> and how are they going to react when they find out this guy's nicking eggs? Yeah. Um, but it's not. It's um, it's Sarah. They've seen Sarah on one of the cameras. Oh. So they decide to split up. Thorne and Malcolm are going getting Sarah, and Eddie gets the um, <laughs> Eddie gets the the task of going getting Levine, which I'm sure he's delighted about. <laughs> I know this is this these two they really have potential to be a, a world beating odd couple like if you this was a TV <laughs> series the spin off would be Eddie and Levine you know what I mean <laughs> Levine walking around pompously deciding everything is down to his ability to notice really tiny details about things Eddie going you've left the fucking lights on again <laughs> be amazing I'd watch that yeah so we go on to uh, Levine um, on trail um, he's excited he's following the parasols um, Eddie behind him is sort of playing 
Jurassic Park CSI. He's looking at the footprints. Uh, sees sees that it, sees that Levine's been following the parasols. Swears and follows yeah, I was going to say that. I love that so much. I love that Eddie's response. Uh, once again, I'm on board with Eddie. Richard Schiff playing him or not. I'm on board with this guy whose response to Levine doing something stupid in the context of dinosaurs is, for fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah. I like how he's... Um, he, just, he just doesn't like doing anything risky, Eddie, at all. No. And he's constantly being placed in situations where he has to do something risky. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I, I'm surprised there's not a more pointed conversation between Eddie and Thorne about this. Because I wonder if Thorne told him there were going to be dinosaurs. You know, or if Thorne yeah. was just like, here are the designs, make sure it can keep away really massive di- massive animals and we'll deal with it. And if Eddie... If, like, Because we don't... Eddie doesn't have a thing where he turns up on the island and goes, Doc, is that a dinosaur? Might you not have mentioned this before? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I know, yeah, he's, he does roll with the punches quite well, doesn't he? He does, yeah. But, um, anyway, the parasaurs, what are they doing? What's the mystery? I, I've got to be honest, at this point, I couldn't remember, so I'm quite excited to find out. Um, they are shitting and pissing together. <laughs> so. <laughs> the family solved. that shits together stays together, Matt. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, so, um, so apparently when... Uh, when Levine did his parasol impression, what he accidentally said was, I'm dying for one. Anybody else dying for one? <laughs> oh, that must be awful to be a parasaur if... Because if you're not actually, like, synchronised by some kind of mysterious biological process, you've got to wait for everybody else to need to go if you need to go. So if you have mm. one too many, you're just sitting there going, guys, guys, I need to... Does anybody... Is anybody else not feeling it a little bit? Because I'm just really... Can we not... I really need to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he's basically he's basically watching a group defecating uh, <laughs> event. <laughs> they apparently do it all together to sort of look after each other. But what a weird, what a weird thing to happen. <laughs> um, Ed, Eddie pulls up behind him, and he's you hear you hear him just go, "Hmm, nice." And he says, <clears throat> then he says, dino farts don't light a match, the whole island will go up. And when I was like, I don't know, 13 reading this, it just cemented Eddie as my favourite character. Yeah, in the world, it's it's like anybody talks about a light in a fart gag, they're my guy. They're my guy, you know. <laughs> just as um, you think it can't get any more disgusting, one starts to lick its own urine up. Um, and Levine's like, fascinating, it must be trying to get nutrients or hormones or something. <laughs> and everybody else is almost fainting with horror. Um, they, they start to move off and Levine tries to follow. And all this, this time now, Eddie keeps saying to him, Dr. Levine, we've got to go. Dr. Levine, get on the bike. And he's just completely ignoring him, <laughs> continuing. Um, the compies show up. And like they're just like the could be up and turn around to each other. It's like, oh yes, the feast is on, <laughs> full buffet. And on they go. So they start eating the crap as well. This is a really disgusting chapter, isn't it? But yes. you know, it's animals, Dave. It is. It is. Um, the Levine stays until he gets bitten by a couple of the cumpies, and at that point, it's as he's trying to get a spore sample. And at that point. You know, the uh, Eddie just says, come on, let's go. That's it's, enough. I'm done. Get on the fucking bike. <laughs> <laughs> and he's the first person in the book that manages to get Levine to actually listen to him. 
Somebody yeah. you can somebody you can drop it on Levine and actually have him listen. <laughs> Hero. Hero. Yeah. So on they go. We move on to Nest. Uh this is this is how they're gonna do it, the uh team bios in. They've got um Dodgson's got this little black box. And they get to the first nest. And King's like, What kind of dinosaurs are these? And Dodgson's just like, I've no fucking idea. Doesn't matter. It's, uh, <laughs> Do <yeah>. not <laughs> give a shit, my friend. I am all about the upside. Let's go. <laughs> this um it shows that uh Dodgson's a curiously uh you know, antagonistic antagonist for uh for Michael Crichton, yeah, because he's one of the only characters I can think of in all the books I've read of Crichton who just liberally drops the f bomb. Like, oh, that's quite true, actually. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. That's true. So he does it a few more times later on. It turns out these are myosaurs, a certain type of hadrosaur um, called Good Mother Lizards, because um, they've got a rep for looking after the kids properly. Oh, that nice. Yeah. They found a found a fossil of a fridge, dinosaur sized fridge, with a with a really bad crayon scrawling stuck lovingly to it. And they thought, right, <laughs> good mother lizard, that's what we're calling that. They walk out into the clearing and Dodgson turns on the <laughs> the blaster. It reminds me of the, the screeches in Watchmen. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. That's absolutely what it is, isn't it? It, it creates this uh, shriek, and I just imagine sort of like I don't know, like Aerosmith or something playing out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Just the really high pitched bit of an Eddie Van Halen guitar solo repeated over and over again. <laughs> Rock and roll, motherfuckers! All the Maya stars are going. Oh, oh, have you not got any Valdunican? <laughs> nice foxtrot. <laughs> so it drives away the dinosaurs and um, Basilton and King pick up the eggs, these two massive eggs, and they sneak off with them and it all goes perfectly to plan and they're grinning like idiots and Dodgson <laughs> goes, next. I love it. I love that Dodgson's like, oh, we're going to be off here sooner than four hours' time and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The massive herbivores who are not terribly mobile, they are definitely your <laughs> benchmark for the behaviour of the animals on this <laughs> island. <laughs> Yeah, what could go wrong? <laughs> yeah. Um, the last chapter for today, the high hide. We're back up in the high hide. Uh, Levine's getting patched up by Eddie. Um, he's uh, he's saying, you know, it's nothing. It's just trivial. And I like this. He can't feel the injury, and it's because we know from the first book they've got poison in them. The um, the compies, mm. uh, and it's a numbing pain. So yeah, yeah. it's not surprising he can't feel it. Yeah. Um, but Eddie's patching him up anyway. He sort of pulls away this bandage and it's got like a smear of blood and a smear of like feces on it. It's oh, like, oh, yeah, no, horrible, horrible. But Levine looks at it as like, yeah, as I thought, trivial wound. What a waste of what a waste of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, he really is, isn't he? And like, I think, I mean, not alone in this book, but particularly Eddie at this point could be like, look, they are dinosaurs, right? You get that it's very dangerous, and I'm trying to prevent you from getting a horrible infection, which your body definitely won't be able to handle with no no yeah. he really doesn't get that it's dangerous does he Levine no not it, in this, the slightest yeah and considering he survived the dinosaur attack as well yeah it's it's amazing that he's still so like cocksure about it yeah absolutely and also considering that he's got into this with Malcolm who fair enough is quite reticent about the situation or has yeah. been until he landed on the island but I mean again you would have thought Malcolm at some point would have been like 
you know, I've uh, got some experience with dinosaurs, actually. Oh, yeah? <laughs> really? Yeah. No, I, yeah, I've, um, I was eaten by one, as it happens. <laughs> yeah. They're big, and they're toothy, and they're dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Bad shit, my friend. Bad shit. That he's never yeah. even mentioned it feels a little bit credibility-stretching. Yeah. Once again, someone tries to get Levine to go back to the trailer, and he's like, no, I'm not going. So Eddie says, I'm going back. Do you want to come? And uh, Levine says, not in a million years. And then goes, not in 65 million years. (laughs) You got to add it to him. That's a good line. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is. But I bet bet Eddie's response walking away from that is not, all right, Doc, that was pretty good. He's going to be walking away going, prick. Fucking wanker. Climbing down down the ladder. What a twat. I am out. (laughs) So that brings to the end part three. Like I said, if you're reading along with us, next week, uh, read to a part called The High Hide, which begins the night vision goggles, something like that. Something about night vision goggles, anyway. Mm. And um, I think it's Levine look through the light vision, night vision goggles. Mm. If you're getting uh, feedback to us, sharkliveroyalpodcast at gmail.com. That's sharkliveroyalpodcast at gmail.com. Do your reviews, um, and we will read those out at the end. It's going to be two more parts till we finish. And uh, it's all gone remarkably well for the people on the island so far. <laughs> um, <laughs> believe me when I say the next part, it goes significantly less well <laughs> for them. If you're looking for an update on the reality of the shit, uh, <laughs> it, 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 it compounds in the next section. <laughs> in the words of Jez from Peep Show... The shitstorm is coming. It's a real world out there, and baby, it is fucked. (laughs) (laughs) That's the best fucking tagline for this book. That's amazing. (laughs) Okay, well, until then. Until um, then. Dave, see you next week. See you next week, mate. Bye-bye.